0: Welcome to More Than Ink.
1: Hey, today we're going to see four guys who take their good buddy who cannot walk and drop him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus heals him, right? Well, not at first. In fact, he does something much, much more remarkable. Oh, wait a minute. What could be more remarkable than healing a paralytic? Well, I think we need to read the passage and find out today on More More Than Than Ink. Ink. Well, yes, siree. This is more than ink. I'm Jim, and I'm Dorothy, and we're glad you're joining us again. We are right in the middle of Matthew and uh, discovering our way through what is put there. Matthew, one of the apostles that walked with Jesus, and uh, uh, he'll he'll actually play a starring role uh, that's today. Right in today's passage. In today's yeah. passage, he writes about himself, but he doesn't say so. But we know he it's doesn't
2: him. Say this is me. Yeah, yeah. that's right.
1: <laughs> and if you don't know anything about Matthew's background, you might be surprised where he comes from and what he used to do for a living. Um, And if you don't know that, you'll find out today. So if you want to follow with us, we're in chapter 9 of Matthew. And uh, we've come through the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has started doing ministry in Galilee, starting in chapter 8. We got through chapter 8 and those things. And we're still doing ministry, uh, starting into chapter 9 this time.
2: And we've seen a handful of miracles, right? A handful of miracles. We've seen a leper cleansed, and we've seen... A whole herd of pigs (laughs) (laughs) sent down the mountain. That was exciting. Yeah, Uh, yeah. and remember before we come into this passage, remember that Jesus had gone over to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, right? And he had done ministry among uh, this mixed culture over there of mostly Gentiles, mostly Gentiles.
1: Yeah, yeah. On the east side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, came across those guys with the the legion, right? And he
2: left that one, yeah terribly oppressed demon oppressed man who he healed left him behind yep he yep. said now stay behind and tell people what god has done for you
1: and to this day we don't have any biblical account of how the gospel spread through him but that's why jesus had him stay on that side of the lake to spread the word
2: and if you remember on the way over there jesus had calmed the storm
1: Right, oh yeah, and right. so
2: right. the disciples had, had wound up by asking, who is this man? Who is that this Even guy? the weather listens right. to him,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, as we continue in chapter nine, a lot of people are going to be asking themselves, who is this who guy? Who is this man? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we jump in a boat, and we cross over from the east side of the lake to the west side of the lake, and we pick up the narrative in the beginning of chapter nine, verse one. Here okay. we go.
2: And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. So that's back to Capernaum, Capernaum where he had right. come from. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men.
1: Wow, very famous passage. What's left out in this account, as opposed to Mark and Luke, is the fact that this paralytic came in through the ceiling. That's right. That his <laughs> friends had climbed up on the ceiling and on the
2: roof and lifted off the tiles so they could lower him. They were absolutely desperate. They were convinced desperate. Well, yeah, that the, they could bring him down in front of Jesus. And the Jesus house was was
1: full of people. They, yeah, couldn't, they couldn't get, get in. in. Was it going to stop him? They dug through the roof and lowered him down. I think
2: it's Luke's gospel. It says that they lowered him right in front of Jesus. Yep, yep. That's Luke <laughs>
1: five. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, here's. The this paralytic um, he's lying on a bed and an interesting comment when uh, when jesus saw his faith or their no, he faith saw
2: the faith of his friends the faith
1: of his friends then he said to the paralytic again something the friends didn't expect to hear right uh they expected jesus to say take heart you're you're healed but he says take heart my son your sins, your are, sins forgiven. are forgiven he's still laying paralyzed on his mat and yeah, so he
2: couldn't have done anything couldn't have right?
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what could right. he have done that's right and so you know so to the pharisees that are standing around the scribes and pharisees this is a very audacious statement mm-hmm. i mean because who who does that who can forgive sin and uh well, you know. Well,
2: clearly this passage is about authority. That's right. I mean the guy yeah. is healed, yes, but but Matthew's conclusion is these people were amazed because God had given such authority to a human being who could say your sins are yeah. forgiven yeah. and then validate it by this paralytic guy yeah. just getting up and walking away. And
1: that's what makes the sequence of the story so yeah. so engaging because he he forgives this guy's sins first, and then the then the, the religious officials say, "No, no, 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 no! You can't do that. That's like that's like blasphemy. You're you're talking like you're God." So people, yeah. you know, people critics of the Bible who say Jesus never really claimed to be God. Well, he was sure talking like God right and, here and
2: doing stuff only God could do. Right?
1: I mean, he's forgiving sins. Who can do that? And okay, the Pharisees well, if he's doing things
2: it. that had never been done before. Right in in human recollection, at least in Jewish history, uh, this this instance is forgiving sin, but he had healed a leper.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: He had um, healed at a distance without a touch right the centurion's uh servant Servant. uh he was casting out demons not one at a time but in crowds
1: (laughs) yeah right (laughs) he had calmed
2: the storm and remember in the in the teaching and sermon on the mount the people were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching with his own authority Mm -hmm, i say mm -hmm. to you i say to you he didn't quote right uh, you know i think this passage really matthew is driving home the authority. The messianic authority, God's sent one, yeah, is oh, speaking,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and so when the when the scribes and the Pharisees resist this guy saying he could mm-hmm. forgive sins, right. which is invisible in a sense, but clearly God, clearly blasphemous. Right. And what they're saying is that only God can say this and do this. And so Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, <laughs> okay. Well,
2: here you go. Here you go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what do you say? We actually do some healing. Too? So
2: it is a, an implicit statement I, I am.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting, they're doubting about his statement of being God. Why do you think evil in your hearts is what he's saying? Mm. It's an evil thing to challenge the actual character and, and nature of who Jesus is.
2: Well, they were accusing him of blasphemy right. when they themselves were guilty of it. Isn't that and fascinating? We're going to yeah. see that a couple times. It'll come back. This It'll come yeah. back.
1: But I just want to point out and keep track of this on a list somewhere. Jesus is making, just like you said, some very bold statements, both what in what he does and what he says, mm-hmm. that he is indeed God himself. Jesus is God in the flesh himself
2: you know I just thought of another authority statement that we've seen in Matthew and that is when Matthew tells us about the temptations in the wilderness Jesus says oh, to yeah. Satan just be gone. be gone we are done here yep. and yep. that's the same thing he says to the demons all along mm-hmm. just be gone
1: Yeah, yeah, go
2: away you're done here
1: so what do you make at the end of this passage? You, you know, rise, rise, pick up your bed, go home. He rose, he went home. And then the crowd's reaction is interesting. The crowd saw it and they were afraid.
2: Well, they were Isn't that amazed. interesting? They were amazed. They were awed. They were deeply stirred, maybe with a proper fear. Yeah, because it says fear. they were
1: both afraid and glorified God. Right. So they, they just realized they had seen proof of something quite authoritative right. from a divine perspective. And they didn't know how to handle it, but they did know this was all about God. Yeah, absolutely. Whew. Yeah, hmm. this guy's great. Well, you want to move on? Or
2: we have to. There's so yeah. much more we could say about each of these I, things, I know. but we really want to. We're just doing a flyover. Oh, can I? Can yeah. I quote
1: one thing? Because sure. I thought this was interesting. Psalm 103, verses one through three, to Psalm of David. Hmm. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. And listen to what he's, he's talking oh, about yeah. God now. Talking about yeah. God. Listen, verse three: Who forgives all your iniquity? And who heals, heals all, your all your diseases? Jesus. Boom! There it is, That's right here. That's an interesting order. There, it is. forgive first, and heal it is. second. I know it's like he's just living out someone 103. Okay, I just had to stick oh, that I in before we go I hadn't on. Even
2: thought about that? That's wonderful. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, let's 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 get to the the star author of this uh, book. Okay, Matthew.
2: So we're pressing on to verse nine, and Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting mm-hmm. at the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me," and he rose and followed him. Can we stop there for? We should. That's very odd. Because we think that this was a first encounter, but it probably wasn't. Yeah, right. We're in the neighborhood where Jesus had been living for some time. Right. Everybody knew the guy who sat at the tax booth. Right. They Mm -hmm, probably mm -hmm. had had some conversation, and Jesus knew that Matthew was paying attention
1: right yeah and and tax collectors are prominent in the right. in, in the little villages everybody
2: had to deal with them
1: right so and you know there there's got to be more going on behind the scenes they it's were just also not documented despised. they were despised <laughs> now if you if you don't know what tax collectors did they were basically they worked for the Roman government and so Rome wanted to take taxes from the people that they occupied militarily you don't get many great taxes if you use soldiers to do that so they would they would hire locals and say look if you collect the taxes for Rome you can charge whatever they're you you want
2: you can add a personal search. That's right.
1: Yeah. Just make sure we get what we want, and we need this much, and you can charge anything past that. And so, the tax collectors uh, not only were, were were I don't know turncoats against the local people, against their friends right. and family who right. lived in those villages. But they also had an inside uh, line on who had made more money or less money, because they knew about crops and stuff like that. And who sold animals, so they knew all this stuff. They were perfectly situated. So they were they were despised. They had to be protected by Roman soldiers. Uh, but they got wealthy. They got wealthy at the expense of the friends and the family they've lived with their entire lives. These people were nasty. <laughs> So Jesus just walks up to his tax booth, which is the public place where he would call people in to pay their taxes, just walks up there and says to him, follow me. And boom, he rises well, and follows.
2: It, it kind of implies the time has come, right? Because mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. is becoming a recognized rabbi and he right. has called right. a handful of followers. We've got Peter, James, John, and Andrew who are with him. Mm-hmm. We know for mm-hmm. sure at this point. Oh, and I think Nathaniel too. We've already seen Nathaniel.
1: Come. perhaps yeah
2: uh so that's from one of the other gospels so um you know when he invites matthew come follow me it, yeah, there's there's some sort of relationship that preceded that it had didn't to be just come out it of had to be. we
1: just don't have it reckoned. we don't have it uh, written down another thing to point out quite a difference between a tax collector who leaves his tax booth it's a one-way trip i mean there's no way he's going to come back and do this ever again right. Because he's actually turning his back on Rome as well. Right. The fishermen, like the you know the four guys who were fishermen, they could turn around next week and say, "Well, we don't want to follow Jesus anymore. We'll, we'll just go back fishing."
2: And after the resurrection, and they actually, sort of they do. Did. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: but, but Matthew realized this is a one way trip. He's leaving behind mm-hmm. not only what he's doing here, he puts himself uh, in bad in bad state with uh, Rome. In fact, and um, and he and also you know he's he, he's leaving behind a lot of money wealth.
2: Well, and that's interesting because that kind of leads us into the next part of the story, which is the next scene opens at a dinner table, at a right. dinner party. I right. think maybe Matthew has gathered all his friends to explain himself.
1: Well it's very likely <laughs> because of the story of Zacchaeus who is also a tax collector, he right. does the same thing. Right. He invites well, Jesus invites himself right. to his house. So we think this is Matthew holding a big party. So verse 10.
2: And introducing Jesus to his friends.
1: Yeah. So let me let me read it yeah, for us. Please. Okay, verse 10. So as Jesus reclined at table in the house Behold, many tax collectors, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means." And he quotes, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners.
2: Uh, you know, I love that. This is not the only time he's going to quote this verse from Hosea. Yeah, right. And right, it's right, right. fascinating that he quotes from Hosea in the first place because the mm-hmm. whole story of Hosea is a picture of unfaithful Israel. Right. Uh, and God's faithfulness to her as his people. Yeah. So, you know, did you look up this whole verse that he quotes? Because he only quotes part of it.
1: Yeah, right? well, Hosea six six. Right. For, so, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Right. The knowledge of God rather than burnt uh. offerings.
2: The knowledge knowledge of of God, God. right? Like if you really knew God, because isn't that what Jesus says? Now go and learn what this means, because you don't get it. You don't understand what it means to know God, which is a an intimate, uh, relational kind of understanding. Mm -hmm. God's Mm -hmm. heart is mercy, is loving kindness, is tenderness toward those who are desperately sick with sin.
1: Yeah, key part of God's nature is mercy. His mercy. Well, and
2: the interesting thing is when he says, you know, he quotes Hosea, I desire mercy, and not sacrifice. Well, David had said the same thing in Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. Lord, if you desired sacrifice, I would give I it. I would have done it. Right? right but what right. you want is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Right. Oh God, right? right. A heart that's tender toward God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jesus is... Standing in line with all of the Old Testament prophets, actually, you know what Micah said the same thing. You mm-hmm. know what God requires of you, right? Micah 6, 8. 6, 8. to do justly, do to justly. love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Yeah, it's and about mer- relationship.
1: Mercy is all about how you react to someone who does evil or right. does you dirt. I mean, your enemy basically. And if they'd been listening during the Sermon on the Mount, you would they would have known that Jesus says you have to love your enemies,
2: not well, hate them. Well, and mercy which includes is- mercy and grace. Mercy is about alleviating the consequences, the painful consequences of sin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is why Jesus says, you know, hey, I'm here with the people who know they're sick. Right? They are sick in their sin and they know it. And I'm here to bring them healing.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's so remarkable about what Jesus does. Because this is not the first time that he relates with people who are, who, who are looked down upon by the very righteous right. Pharisees. And
2: he takes heat. From the and he takes seat, yeah. yeah. And but
1: but this is you could almost say this is Jesus' specialty when it mm-hmm. comes to dealing with people. These are the kinds of people he came it's, for. These are my people. These are my people. <laughs> yeah, to quote a local phrase. And so, so yeah, that that's what's really great because his last line: I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Yeah. Now he's not when he says call the righteous he doesn't mean actually truly righteous he means no. people who think they're those righteous those who perceive themselves as righteous and yeah. that's that's the description of the Pharisees who Trusting see them, in
2: their own righteousness
1: right see and because of their own righteousness they see themselves as an elite above mm-hmm. the dirty people around better than and there can't be a more dirty Jew than a tax collector who's a mm-hmm. Jew and that's that's Matthew right here so clearly they're looking down on the fact that Jesus is hobnobbing with these people actually actually going to a dinner party
2: well they weren't keeping their distance though I mean they were close enough to see what was going on that's that's pretty interesting they were keeping (laughs) a close eye on him
1: (laughs) so you it makes me wonder whether they were jealous that they weren't invited to the party (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably really good food well, good wine you know
2: we see in other parts of the gospel jesus is often at dinner with someone yeah and the scribes the pharisees are there observing and in some cases right. they're actually guests yeah, yeah but you know it's it's interesting he coming as god sent one it makes sure he is constantly in the face of those who should have been the ones to recognize him
1: yeah 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 they had, they had the uh, Messianic prophecies. Right. And they should have been able to do that. But, but you know, at the time when Jesus comes to Israel during this time, just like at the time of Hosea, everything is upside down in terms of Israel's relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I looked at another place in Hosea, in Hosea 4.1, you know, he says basically then, as, as Jesus is saying here now, there is no faithfulness or steadfast mm-hmm. love, and there is no knowledge of God in the right. land. Right. So this is where we're at. So the, from this point on in the story, as Jesus does ministry, he's going to catch a lot of flack from people. I mean, he's already been called out for blasphemy. Mm-hmm. And then they had to shut their lips because the guy got healed. So it'll continue on. He, he's gonna he's gonna rack up a lot of friction as time goes on. And this is not the only place. And because God Himself in the flesh, Jesus, is actually being merciful to the ones He loves.
2: And you know, when you talk about knowing God, I just remembered back in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus tells that that. Talks about not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 Lord. will get in, right? He says, "But uh, depart from me, I never knew you, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right?" So there's knowing God, being engaged in a life giving, intimate relationship with God, is what God is after, right, for us, right? Not adherence to the law, not uh, doing everything ceremonially correct. Uh, even though he exactly. prescribed those things. But yeah. what he's after is relationship. He's after our hearts. Yeah.
1: And and there's, you know, the, the opening words in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right. And, you know, when you look at what he says here in verse 12, uh, he says those who are well have no need of a physician. <laughs> they're not yet poor in spirit. They don't right. realize that they're that from every respect no. there is zero. They don't recognize their poverty. They think they're hot stuff. And so, so he says those who are well, those who think they're well— won't have a need for a physician. Those who think that they're righteous won't have a need for a Savior. Yeah. It doesn't mean
2: them. they're not sick. That's exactly it doesn't right. doesn't <laughs> mean they just don't recognize yeah, it.
1: That's right. So there really is a, the core issue here is repentance. Repentance starts yeah. with you understanding w- where you're at in terms of sin.
2: So Matthew has repented. He has turned and gone another direction right. in life. Right. And he is introducing Jesus to all his friends and introducing all his friends to Jesus. Or well, yep. maybe they yep. have known each other, but here's this event.
1: Well, let's look at the last event here okay. for the day, in yeah, verse 14.
2: And maybe this happens actually as part of this Could scene.
1: Be. Could be. Uh, yeah. And
2: then the disciples of John came to him saying, "Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast?" Yeah. And Jesus said to them, "Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them?" The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved.
1: Yeah, interesting. And those last metaphors, he's talking about the fact that something radically has shifted. Something Something very new 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 has come. And it's something that not only the Pharisees escapes their notice, but it seems to be escaping the notice of John as well. Yeah. So uh, and so in, in these wonderful metaphors, you know, you don't put new skin and old wine skins. There's an incompatibility. New wine, new wine, new wine, right? New wine and old wine skins. It doesn't work. We don't know. We don't understand that because we don't store our wine in wine skins. But evidently, it won't work. But we do know if you take a piece of unshrunk cloth, stitch it onto a shrunk piece of cloth, it's going to tear away. So.
2: Oh, well, look at the contrasts, right? The contrast is between something old and something new. Old and new. In the case old of the wineskins, that thing that you're putting in it is growing, expanding, uh, fermenting. Right, right. And an old, brittle, worn-out wineskin cannot tolerate that. Yes, Right. Yes. It needs to be a soft, supple, new wineskin. skin.
1: Yeah. So there's a fundamental incompatibility. Right. And, and what John's uh, disciples have in common with the Pharisees is they're all looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Yeah. And what Jesus says is, well, hey, the Messiah is here. So <laughs> so so we boom, something really radically new has shifted.
2: Yeah. Something greater something is greater, here. Something right? greater is so, here. So the funny thing is I was looking at this when I was looking at the Hosea verse before I mm-hmm. desire compassion, not sacrifice. Matthew calls our attention to that verse again in chapter 12. We'll get to it in a couple of weeks. Oh, it's coming, yeah. But it's right in conjunction where Jesus is saying, you know what? Something greater than the temple is here.
1: Yes, yes.
2: Right? So in these two metaphors, he's contrasting something old and worn out or done
1: with. Right, right.
2: With something brand new and different. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and I would emphasize too John's disciples weren't wrong. No. Um, and in a sense, the Pharisees looking for the Messiah weren't wrong. It's just that that whole that whole era preceding the coming of the Messiah Jesus was an era of 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 leaning forward and waiting for the right. Messiah to show up. That's actually a very valid thing. But when the Messiah comes, that mode of living is obsolete. Right. The the instant the Messiah comes, so it's not a right and wrong thing. It's a that was appropriate for then. This is appropriate for now. Yeah. And that, that's how the new covenant is new.
2: Well, and he the fact that he uses the imagery of the bridegroom to yeah, speak about yeah. himself, well, what's a bridegroom about to do? He's about to enter, bring in a whole new way of life. Yes. He's about to be joined with the woman that he will do the rest of his life with. Yep. Right? Yep. And so that is a beautiful picture, Jesus says. Hey, the bridegroom is here. The wedding is about to happen. From now on, relationship will be different.
1: It just will be different. Yeah. Just like in a wedding, life is different different before and it's different after. So it's not a right and wrong in that sense. I might also point out too there's a lot of debate in Christian circles about whether we should fast or not fast and stuff like that. It is interesting at the end of verse 15 that Jesus says when the bridegroom is taken away from them then they, they will, will fast. fast. Mm-hmm. And we are at this time in this period right now where the bridegroom has been taken away and then he'll come back to to greet us. So, So is fasting fit for today? Well according to verse 15 yeah, actually, because in a sense we mourn his absence and we wait for his return again the second now, time.
2: That's a, boy, that's a subject for another
1: whole day. I know, day. you could go a long day, you <laughs> could go a long time. But a lot of people read this passage and say, see, fasting is just obsolete. And you go, no, no, no it's not. Here's it's there's an not assumption, obsolete.
2: right? Even back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, now, when you fast. When he didn't you fast. say if you yeah, fast, he right. said when you fast.
1: That's right. But we're in this period where he's gone to heaven and soon he'll return a second time. And during this period, it's fitting to fast. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, oh. I, I'll point out something else too about this. We talked about incompatibility. Yeah. What Jesus is doing here when he's saying something new has come is he's not... He's not reforming the old system. No. No, And he's also not restoring something from the old system. So what he's doing is he's replacing the old system because he has come. So you have to understand anytime someone makes an appeal to say, well, I want to reform the system or or I want to restore what's been lost. No, actually at this point, starting with the, the ministry of Jesus, it's been replaced by his presence. I just wanted to point that out.
2: Well, no, I think that's really important because something greater is here, something new is here. Hebrews 8.13 says a new covenant, right? He made the first obsolete. Whatever's become obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear. Ready to disappear. Right, so we'll be talking about the new covenant a lot. Yeah. God had promised, I'm making a new arrangement with you. You're going to know me because I'm going to forgive your sin and i'll put my spirit within you and change your heart
1: yeah yeah so and i
2: think that's here especially in this oh, picture of the new wine in the it's in poking the wine out skin, all over the place yeah. because the contrast between these two pictures is an external one and an internal one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right so oh camp on these pictures
1: you can't have the new covenant occupy inside of the old covenant. right it's one stops the other starts Oh. And Jesus caps off his ministry there in the Lord's Supper in that upper room, right? And says, "This blood is the new covenant. My coven- the new covenant right. in my blood." So there it is, caps it off and ties it up for us. So that's exactly where we're oh, going.
2: Oh, we opened a really big box. <coughs> we'll have to come back to it another time.
1: <laughs> Lots of great stuff. Well, we're going to come back next time and look at the second half of chapter nine, and we're gonna, <clears throat> excuse me, we're gonna see some more fascinating interactions, miraculous ones that's still going to get Jesus in hot water because Mm -hmm. they just don't understand who
0: this guy is.
1: So anyway, come back with us next time on More Than Ink. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
0: There are many more episodes of this broadcast to be found at our website, morethanink.org. And while you're there, take a moment to drop us a note. Remember, The Bible is God's love letter to you. Pick it up and read it for yourself, and you will discover that the words printed there are indeed more than ink.
2: That's pretty good. We're leaving alone?
0: This has been a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City.